Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. It's good to be back in the sanctuary. It is good to say that we start year two together. It is also good to, and I invite you to allow me, to be among the last to wish you a very happy and blessed new year. In a year where you and I both have needed a little bit of extra grace, maybe just maybe having Christmas and New Year's happen on a Friday seems a great first step, which seems to give us a couple extra days to simply breathe, to enjoy the season, take care of a few things, and I pray at least for a little while for you, do absolutely nothing. I have finally arrived at that spot where I've been doing nothing long enough, and I'm like, you know what, it's time, it's time for me to get my muscles back. It's time for me to get back into shape and get back to work. And so whatever these last couple of weeks have looked for you, I hope today finds you well and looking forward to a new year. But while we're still in the fading glow of a new year celebration, it's worth thinking Not just for you and me, I'm sure you have done some of that work. It's worth thinking for us as a community of faith how we want to step off into this new year. And one of the things that I think is really interesting, and yes, I've been sitting on my phone a lot watching movies that I've seen a million times before, just sitting and doom scrolling through Facebook. And one of the things that I've seen just as I've rested and just kind of enjoying the season washing washing over me is that I've seen a steep decline in resolutions over the years, but particularly this year. I remember in years past where it was the thing to do, everybody would post what their thing was, and you can imagine what those things generally look like. But this year, almost no one is posting a New Year's resolution. It doesn't mean no one is, but I had just noticed nobody seems to be doing that anymore. If you've got them, wonderful. I'm just saying I'm not seeing it all that much. And maybe, just maybe, we've, we're starting to see one of the lessons that we've learned over this past year. That maybe our best laid plans are still subject to things that are beyond our control. And maybe being overly specific about what it is that we hope to accomplish at times can be a bit of a problem. I think we're all just like, you know what, we don't know what 2021 is going to look like. So let's not be overly specific. But that doesn't mean that we have given up any hope or notions of progress. I've heard that a lot from everyone. It just hasn't narrowed itself down into I want to lose X amount of pounds. What I've heard a lot of folks doing this year, and maybe this is a clergy thing, and I know we're all weird, so it's okay. Maybe this isn't for, maybe everyone's not doing this. But what I have heard a lot is this thing called star words. If you're rolling your eyes, it's okay. Blame the clergy, it's fine. I don't know if maybe you've seen this, but rather than a resolution, you know, lose 20 pounds or read 20 books or whatever it is for you, I'm hearing folks choose a word and say, this is going to be kind of a guiding light for me this year. And it's been words like peace or health, joy, discernment, loyalty, come up with your own. In fact, I encourage you to do that. Like, is there a word kind of stuck in your head that's just like, you know what, this feels like where I want my life to go in 2021. The idea, of course, is that while highly specific goals may very well be frustrated this year, a guiding light or a star, if you will, 
takes into account that our journey can often take surprising twists and turns from, when we, from what we understood it to be when we set out. And so our journey doesn't have to go in a straight line from A to B. We can still be moving towards our deepest and truest selves even when things go awry. I don't have any Star Wars this year, but this feels more authentic to me. The idea that we are ever truly in control of our story seems a bit naive at best. Well-intentioned, for sure, but sometimes naive. We are subject to so many forces, from our own internal dispositions, our wants, our fears, etc., all the way to global realities. There are so many things that push on us. So often we can't be all that specific about where we're going. All we can do is pick a path that we plan to take. And over a lifetime, as we continue to choose paths that are in front of us, as Frederick Nietzsche of all people said, uh, over a lifetime, a long obedience in the same direction brings us to something like life for us and for others. So that's where we find ourselves in this New Year's space. And I don't know if it's a stroke of luck, a stroke of fortune, or some really wise and thoughtful forebears that put this celebration of epiphany in conjunction with the time that we Western Christians are collectively most open to seeing in new ways. It is absolutely brilliant that epiphany and New Year's are always slammed up right next to one another. The Gospel of Matthew, which is the only gospel to record this visit of the Magi, has a star word, has a theme, a direction for its narrative, not to mention an actual star, which is kind of helpful. Matthew wants to tell a very different story than the story that Luke wants to tell. Matthew has a very pointed and directed focus as he sits down to write his gospel. We've read Luke throughout the Christmas season, and Luke wants to tell a story from the underside. Luke wants to tell a story from the, from the perspective of the poor and the lowly, which is why we get all these stories about Mary and Joseph. We get a broken but a vigilant priesthood represented in Zechariah and Elizabeth. We get Bethlehem, this nowhere town. We get a manger. We get shepherds. We get all this really lowly stuff that we hold really close to us. But that is not Matthew in any way, shape, or form. Matthew tells us none of that. Matthew begins an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In Israelite literature, that is a flex. Matthew is telling a story of power. That's the star word. Matthew is telling a story of power. What power does this child bring into the world? How does it work? What does it look like? How do we participate in it? And how is it different than all the other ways that we understand power in the world? How do others who don't share this path react to it? That's the story Matthew set out to tell. And that is the context into which we get the story of the Magi. For us, when we hear the word power, certain ideas come to mind, right? We have certain assumptions. As soon as I said that word, there were things that popped into your head. It's useful to pay attention to what those things were, by the way. But Matthew is using power as a star word, not as a goal. 
Matthew is not saying that Jesus is going to come and is going to, ex- is going to use power the way that we understand power. He says, no, this power is going to take us in some weird directions, but it is going to give us a path to understanding who this child is. And so this story starts with royal representatives. It starts with people of power. They were most likely Zoroastrian priests. And if you're a religion nerd like me, please go and look them up. They are a hoot. They are definitely, Zoroastrianism is definitely worth putting in your word bank. But they were people with power and influence. And to try to sort out exactly what that looks like may not be the best use of our time, but we can all understand they are people of power and influence, politically and religiously. And what do they do? They go to the king. They go to the center of power and influence for the place where Jesus is born. And the king freaks out. This is not a play act. This is no theater. Matthew is not just kind of setting up a story. Herod is deeply troubled. Because Herod understands that power is very much at play. He understands fully and completely the power dynamics that are represented in this child. And the people freak out with him. You know why? Not because the people have power. In Israel, they did not. But the people are wise enough to know, and their history is long enough for them to have realized that power struggles between people with power hurts people. Power struggles put people at risk. And so when Herod feels threatened, you know who often gets hurt? The people under his rule. But make no mistake, Matthew wants us to understand this. The power this child claims is a direct threat to the traditional understandings of power that Israel has lived with. But not all power will push against it. There is a different way of understanding power that is coming up out of this story. Because these magi don't go to flex in front of the child, they go to bow. These men, these icons of religion, these icons of worldly wisdom, these icons of power and influence and of wealth bow to this child. The symbolism is clear. A king has come who is a greater king than the ones they are and the ones they represent. A king has come who is a greater king and exercises a greater power than the ones that they themselves are and the ones that they represent. And the enactors of this powerful scene, let us not forget, come from outside the traditional Israelite structures of power, They are not prophets. They are not kings in the line of David. They are not kings who are vassals from Caesar. They are completely outside the system. And yet, they are the ones who come and bow, symbolizing the global power of this child. Power in the presence of this child is about to be completely reimagined. And those who would follow this child are about to have their understandings of power completely reoriented. So on this day, let us not lose sense of this child that we also bow to. On this day, this New Year's kind of season, 
this sense of our truest and best selves and of a more just and generous world is right on point. We are looking for power that is going to get us to our best selves and it's going to take us to a more just and generous world. And the, and the promise, the thing that Matthew sets out, out before us is that this Christ, this child, is bringing a kingdom. He has power to do these things. And anyone who is serious about following Christ will train their eyes on this kingdom. In this day, there is power, there is revolution, there is renewal. It's not easy, it can be disruptive, at times it can be very, very aggressive. But nevertheless, there is breaking into our world a new way of being, which is a word of hope when every other way of being has been exposed as flawed, imbalanced, or unjust. A new power is rising. And if we follow this child, us, like the Magi, will not be able to return home by the same way. We will also set out on paths that are unpredictable and will look funny and that will be very difficult. And nevertheless, they are the paths that we are called to follow. But if that stresses us out a little bit, we say, wait a second, like... The only way that I make my life have meaning and the only way that I understand a more just and generous world happening is through these notions of powers, power that I already have. Just remember, folks, that it is the same child who has magi bowing before him in one chapter and just a few chapters later will challenge every notion of power and will challenge and comfort with his wisdom when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's the kind of power that he comes to bring. Doesn't make sense. Even those of us who have been following in the way of Jesus all of our lives, there are so many things about his way of being that don't make sense, and yet that is our way. And it's that same king and that same notion of power who lays out a table for us today. A table that Matthew is going to describe later saying, he invited all the powerful people and none of them wanted to come. And so he said, go out and invite the poor. And it was the poor who came. And indeed, the table that is set for us today is a table where the powerless, the weary, and the unsure will find welcome, comfort, and yes, power to walk the journey that is before us. So may this meal and this really odd king be a light for us and for a world that indeed is rebuilding, reimagining, and rethinking it all. On this new year, as we think about where we are headed, may this child and his kingdom be the thing that we seek. And in doing so, may we find power that will bring us to our best selves and bring about a more just and generous world. That is our path in 2021.